So last week, we focused on our finances. We talked about how God, uh, those, when you have faith in God, when you place your faith in God, not just a belief in Him, like, you know, just the, the, the tip of the iceberg, the, you know, when you come to faith in God and, and place your allegiance in Him, then He'll bless you. But it's actually, the, it's that continual faith. It's that, God, you are the one that has control of my finances. You are the one that I want to glorify with my finances. You are the one, God, that I desire to honor. You are the one that I desire to serve with them. So that's why faith in God, our faith in God, when we place our faith in God, he wants to bring flourishing to our finances. When you live by that faith, YWAMers, you know what I'm talking about. When you live by faith and say, God, whatever you want, we're putting our, our, ourselves into your hands, God will start to crazily and amazingly and surprisingly and befuddling, I love that word, befuddling, befuddlingly, befuddlingly, just supply your need, right? Everything that you need. And this week, we're going to talk about focusing with our finances. So look, last week was taking a look on your, having your eyes on your finances. Now we're going to talk about putting your hands on your finances and watching as God blesses them as you use them. So the question that we want to start with this, this morning is this. What do people think about God when they think about the way you use your money? Think about that question for a second. What do people think about God when they think of the way you use your money? If they could take a look into your, your books and see where every dollar is coming from and where every dollar is going, what would they think about God because of it? I asked myself this question. So I, looked, I opened up my Every Dollar app and, and our budget. I was like, hmm, what would, God, what would people think about God if they saw where we budgeted our money? Which went into our decision our, as a family to cancel Netflix. Because seeing if they see that on our budget, what would they think about God that our money is going to support something that puts out things like cuties? Because we, like we talked about last week, money is a tool to glorify God. Money is a purpose, a way we use it in a way to glorify God. And this past week on, on Wednesday during Coffee with Alan, we talked about the, the practical tool, the, the tool I just talked about, the Every Dollar app. If, so if you're looking for a way to budget, it is a phenomenal personal monthly, uh, uh, monthly budgeting tool. It is amazing the things that you can do with that. And for me, a visual person, I'm not a, I'm not a dollar person. Like I see our budget, you know, our, you know when, our, when our accountant spits out our, our, our financial, our, our, our weekly, our monthly uh, <clears throat> update, and I'm like, okay, that, that one number, okay, I understand, okay, what, uh, can you explain this to me? <laughs> and so every dollar is great because I can see everything, every single penny and where it's going and see, okay, bank account, budgeting, are they the same? <laughs> Make sure, that, uh, that number I can understand. Um, and so we, in the church, so we using, using money as a tool, we as a church want to posture ourselves to help you, to empower you 
to live the life that God desires for you, for you and your family, for your children and your children's children and your children's 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 children, your children, your generations, your, your family. We want you to be healthy. And one of the most powerful ways that I have found is by supporting the local church that you're involved in. This was the very first thing that Amberlynn and I started with. Before we cut up a single credit card, and we cut up most of them, before we ever started doing all these things, we focused on, okay, first things first. When we put our budget together, what is the first line item? The first line item is offering to the church because we believed that that was first among everything as most important for us. And that, so if you, if you, if you haven't heard, so the story of the man that I told last week um, was me. Not giving faithfully to the church for a while, just kind of giving sporadically, was in over $100,000 worth of debt, got our finances, to, you know, got our eyes on our finances, scheduled out that, that top line item, and, go, and went for it. And God has blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed, which we'll get to here in a minute. But why give? So this, this, so we have our giving paper. So I just came out with the giving paper uh, of where we are as, as, as a church and what we believe at, for giving as a church. And, <coughs> you know, when, when you go to, to prepare a sermon about giving, it, it, it can be so tempting for pastors to be afraid and I actually, on my notes this week, I had to write on there, just stop being so afraid and preach it. Because <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a scary thing for a pastor. It almost feels beggy. Like, give me money, give me money. Yeah. But it's this, I'm seeing where God is, is going into my research and seeing God's blessing for it, God's heart for it, and God's desire. And I get excited when I get to give to the church. Because it's not just, okay, y'all give me money. Woo. You know, I, get, I participate with you because it's a gift. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. Because as Jesus, you know, the philosophy that I, that I wrote about in the paper, but also how I believe and want to set the tone for this morning is the same way that Jesus taught about the Sabbath. Sabbath <coughs> is sacrificing a day. It is literally giving up what you could be doing and earning money and, and or, you know, harvesting or doing something, you know, for... For, you know, for them back then in the uh, agricultural society, it's giving up an entire day to do not so much nothing, but to do that, to rest, to rest from your work, to stop working, to invest in your life with your family, to invest in your life with Christ, to worship Him, to focus on the things that make God's heart happy. Now, hard work makes God happy, God's heart happy but he wants you to rest. And that's why God said, Jesus said, I have given you the Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath was not, you know, was made for man, not man was made for the Sabbath. Because if you know anything about Sabbath laws and traditions and stuff, they're crazy. Like, they have elevators in Israel where you, they don't even, you know, you don't even push a button. They're called Shabbat elevators because over there they pronounce it Shabbat. And you, they literally stop on every floor. And so you just, Stand there, you wait for it to open, you step in, and then it goes to the next floor, the next one, and then you get off on the floor that you need. You don't, you don't have to touch the button because that's considered work. They're ridiculous. 
So, uh, so us non-Jewish people, we're like, we're going to go over here to this regular elevator, beat you down. You know. <laughs> or take the stairs, you know, that's also a you know, thing. <laughs> but Sabbath was a gift for you. Rest was a gift that was given for you. In the same way, giving to God is a gift for you. Now, it sounds weird, but we'll get into that in here in just a minute. Giving for us, um, giving is for us in so many ways. You know, like life, life is multifaceted. It is, I love this word, nuanced. You can believe several different things all at the same time, right? <coughs> and it's, it's okay. You can, you know, feel and experience these things at the same time. And so uh, as we get into that this morning, I want to talk about five beliefs that you can have about giving all at the same time. Multifaceted, nuanced, all of these things compounding on each other all at the same time. They're not just necessarily like a, a list that you're like, oh, I'm, I'm giving and I'm doing this this week. It's that you, you're giving an, and you're having and experiencing all five of these beliefs at the same time. And so if you have your, your, your notes here, um, this is kind of breaking down our giving paper a little bit, but also going and elaborating a little bit more. So five beliefs about giving uh, for you this morning. <coughs> worship. Giving to God is an act of worship. All throughout Scripture, we see, starting all the way back with Abraham, all the way back, shoot, Adam and Eve with you know, Cain and Abel, they would offer the first fruits of their harvest to God. You see, that was the purpose for, you know, for the first murder, actually, which is why pastors are so afraid to preach about it. <laughs> but <coughs> we, we see offerings going all the way back to Cain and Abel, all the way back to Abraham, who gave 10% of his spoils from war to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek gave him a blessing. And then we see Moses and the offerings and sacrifices and, the, and then the, the institution of the, of the law. And then you see all the way through, you know, with Jesus and how and the lady who gave the two pennies with all that she had. And Jesus was like, this, this woman gave more. Be focused on her heart. This woman gave more than all of y'all combined because it was the very thing that she had to live on. And she gave it freely and generously, lovingly, knowing that she could have used that to buy bread. But instead, she chose to give it to the Lord. And God will bless her because of it, because it was an act of worship to God. It is worshiping. That's why it's part of our gathering. This is, is an act of worship to the Lord. You know, here, here at our church, you know, we, we worship through singing and communion and having community and celebrating salvation and praying together and having that, that, spending that time in reflection together. <coughs> and as, as we see this act of worship to God, what is God's re heart for this? What does God want to do for this? He says this, he says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. Test me in this way. 
See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field so that you will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. God's heart for this is not only that we worship him through giving and that he will bless, but then we will be blessed and all the people around us will see God blessing and they will come and worship and they will be drawn to the goodness of this God who blesses. Philippians 4.18 says, I I received the gift you sent by Epaphroditus and viewed it as a sweet sacrifice perfumed with fragrance, with the fragrance of your faithfulness, which is so pleasing to God. It's an act of worship. Even in the church, this is Paul writing to the Philippians who supported his ministry, who supported him when he was in prison in Rome, which is probably where this was written from, when he shackled to a Roman centurion. Thanks for the gift. It was a fragrant offering to the Lord. So even gifts to him, he saw as a fragrant offering to God. So as you give to the church, we view it as a church, view it as, a, as you worshiping the Lord. And we worship who or what we trust. What we put our allegiance in. What our lives and our spirits are devoted to. Proverbs 3 says, Glorify God with all your wealth. We talked about this last week. Honoring Him, worshiping Him with your very best, with every increase that comes to you. Then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. So our next one right there, he's transitioning right into it. Our second one is, is a blessing. It's an act of worship and it is a blessing. We get blessings from it. Because here's the reality is that God don't need your money. God created trees that money grows on. God created everything, including the material that we use to put computers together that make the ones and zeros in your bank account. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as the Bible says. I love it. He's, you know, when, he talk, when Paul's talking about, about God, he's like, you know, if we know that God doesn't live in temples anymore, you know, built by humans ha- human hands, or is served by human hands as though he needed anything. For God himself gives to, to man and woman life and breath and everything. So we're not giving to God as though God needed our money. But what giving does is that God verifies that he is faithful by fulfilling his promises. And so he has asked us to give to him, and then he verifies that he is the God who has said it and said he will bless, and he fulfills his promises. So we know because he has promised to give us a blessing when we give to him, that we know and and can verify his promises because of his blessing. He pours out his blessing when we give to him. And that verifies our faith, which we'll get to in a minute. As he said in, in Malachi, he says, test me in this. Prove me wrong. Give to me and prove me wrong that I will not bless you, that I will not flourish you, that I will not flourish your people, your lives, your families, 
Because God blesses you when you support that which he loves. And we'll probably come back to this several times throughout this, this morning. God blesses anyone who supports and gives to that which he loves. God cultivates this financial stewardship within us. You know, mentally, you know, this, this mentality that leads to, to greater maturity uh, in our finances, and that spills over into other areas of our lives. So like almost two years ago, last Jan- you know, January, two, two Januaries ago, we kind of started a few things all at once. We did Financial Peace University. I started fasting. And then we started to do, started to do konmariing, which is you know, tidying up our home and getting rid of a bunch of stuff and all sorts of stuff. And over the last two years, I'm half the man, or at least a third of the man I used to be. So is our debt. Our debt is, is even more than that. We have a third or even half of the stuff that we used to have taking up space in our lives, in our, in our house. There is freedom. God loves to bring freedom when this mentality of, of stewardship of our lives, of our possessions, of our bodies, of our finances, everything compounds together. And God cultivates that self-discipline, that spiritual self-discipline in our lives because he desires flourishing, not just in your finances, but in everything, in everything you do. He desires flourishing and freedom. It also brings in, you know, as I started working on as well, time management. As I was talking about, you know, this, this discipline in all areas, because think about Israel. Israel didn't have just one crop a lot of times. They didn't just have, you know, all of this barley and that was all they had, you know, in, in, their, in their backyard. They might have had, you know, barley over here and wheat over here and, you know, fruit of the vine over here and, you know, different, you know, you know vineyards over here and hops over here, like all these different, er- you know, crops because we don't just have, we don't, it's not just one crop to give. Think about your time, even. Getting your time into check. Just like making a budget for your money, making a budget for your time. Let, you know, laying it out, writing it out, printing it out, having an app on your phone or, or you know, in your wallet. That's why I bought this big mamma jamma. I put my calendar in, in my wallet so I wouldn't forget and I could pull it open at any moment. I'm writing things in and you know, the brains in my hand, it make, helps me remember better. But what if we also thought about tithing in the same way of our time? What if you tithe 10% of your time to the Lord? I mean, that's what a Sabbath really kind of is. Resting one day of the week, tithing that day, it's more than 10%. It's what, what is 100%? I'm, again, math, we're not friends. <laughs> tithing that day to the Lord. And even in the mornings, what, you know, a 16-hour work day, what if you tithe an hour and a half every morning? Yes, getting up early. Earlier. And taking that Sabbath, resting, starting your day with the Lord, devoting your, your time and your affection to Him right from the start. Self-discipline of heart and mind. Because God blesses you as you are a blessing. Because part of a lot, you know, budgeting your time and your money is figuring out how can you be a blessing with your time. Now, 
not, maybe not just an hour and a half with God and a quiet time with Him. Maybe it's serving Him. Maybe it's doing something. It's volunteering. Maybe it's sacrificing that, that time, making time for relationships, making time for that phone call because you, want, you believe that God wants you to be a blessing to someone by using half an hour of your time. Opportunities to talk with people at work, right? All these things that God will provide. As Acts 20, 35 says, I left you an example of how you should serve and take care of those who are weak. For we must always cherish the words of our Lord Jesus who taught giving brings a far greater blessing than receiving. This is a teaching of Jesus. The same Jesus that was like, all right, tax time is here. What do we do? Yeah, go out, to the, go, go out and catch a fish. And, and just, yeah, in his mouth will be a denarii. He can miraculously provide out of nowhere. And if I've learned anything, and we, we've been talking about you know, different stories of people who have done this, all of a sudden miracles start to happen. Miracles start to happen. Random checks in the mail. Random people coming up to your doorstep with groceries. That guy who owed you $3,000 for a job that he did six months ago showing up at your doorstep when you're like, how are we going to do Christmas? I had so many conversations this week that just praise the Lord for his goodness. People getting a hold of their finances and seeing, wow, I've been wasting money over here, but I've actually got a lot of money that I didn't realize, and I was afraid that I wasn't actually going to see a budget where I could actually live within. Like I was spending more than I earned, or I didn't even make enough money to live. And they're like, wow, I've got all this money, and I can be intentional here and actually have money left over. Wow. This is amazing. Or, you know, us as a church, we gave, you know, a check because someone had, they're like, I didn't realize that I overbalanced, you know, overbudgeted. And so we're, we helped. And then a cool thing God did. The very next, so she, she, she deposited it in her bank checking account. That next day, she got a check in the mail from a friend who just randomly gave her $100. Exactly $100. God is hilarious when it comes, when, when our hearts are aligned to him and we start to focus on what he loves, he will bless you there's a, an image i like you know i liked this week so it's this image so if so i watch a, a tv show called community it's weird and yes this is a giant hand statue <laughs> so they, they went to go get it and they had this whole adventure it's an episode of community but what they learned about was keep a loose grip and they're trying to discover this, and it's, you know, trying to, they're arguing about, you know, bringing this giant hand, why, why the dean bought this giant hand, and it was inconveniencing them, and created this whole adventure of, of you know, misdeeds and all sorts of craziness. And this one guy has this epiphany. He's like, I have learned, I have discovered the meaning of the giant hand. And here it is. A hand has two functions, to grip and to release. But without both of these powers, it is useless. And like, like newborn infants, we grab what comes near us, hoping to control it, taste it, jam it into another kid's eye. But the time we spend in control of our world is the time we spend letting go of others. Ideas, stories, pride, girls in soft sweaters, video games, buttered noodles. Grip one for too long and you lose so much 
that you've never held. The giant hand was sent to us as an invitation to increase our mastery over the power to hold on and to let go. And the, the, the uh, bracelet there says, you know, keep a loose grip. Because if you have a loose grip, you can hold what you're given and release others. It's a, it's a in, you know, in and out, in and out. It's a keeping a loose grip on things so that you can receive and so that you can give. Grip and release. Grip and release. Knowing that all, every, every good blessing is from the Lord. All good things are from the Lord. And so this, this, this verse passage, you know, Paul is saying, I gave you, uh, you know, this, this uh, what do you say? I have given you this example. And so our third is imitating. We believe that when we give, we are imitating the heart of God. When we are being generous to the church and to others, we are expressing and imitating. Again, if you know our vision here at Shift Church, that's the very first measurable. Imitating, initiating, initiating it into our own lives and then teaching others, instigating it into others. Those are our three measurables. And so we start by imitating God. Giving and blessing verifies the authenticity of our faith. It shows that our faith in God is real because we are being generous with our money because God is a generous God. And when he says he will bless you when you sacrifice, when he does that, it not only verifies that to the world that our, that our faith is real, but it also verifies it to ourselves that it's real, that our faith is real, that God and his promises are real in our lives. It verifies the authenticity of our faith because God is generous and gives both eternal and temporal blessings to us. And this sets our minds on the eternal and that gives us perspective of what to do in the temporal. Like we talked about last week, when your mind resides in eternity, it shifts what you do in the temporary. Matthew 6 says, So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Abundantly. Desire God and his kingdom. His way. Not American consumerism. Not the, I need to consume and, 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 and you know, just gather up all these possessions and, and new things and new things and new things and new things. Consume, consume, consume. That we miss out on God's kingdom. Because we're trying, we're grasping at everything around us versus letting it go. Having open hands to God. Giving, being generous. And this leads us to number four, one another. That's what giving to the church is, is all about too, is, is, is one anothering. Radical love for one another brings radical giving to one another. When we love one another genuinely, it becomes an excitement 
Like last week when I, when I wrote that check, I was excited to write it because I was so excited to be generous for us as a church, to be generous, to care for one another in the church. 2 Corinthians 9 says, here's my point. A stingy sower will reap a meager harvest, but the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Now, that phrase in the beginning, a stingy sower. Now, a lot of times this is where what I talked about last week, you know, the, you know, sowing a seed. What he's talking about is basically saying, I've got all this entire storehouse full of seed, but I just take a little bag, and that's all I'm sowing because I, I need to keep that seed just in case. I'm storing it back. I'm storing it back. So I'm sowing sparingly, even though I've got a bunch. Even though I've got infinite amount of seed behind me, I'm sowing very little. That's what he's saying. But the one who sows from a generous spirit will reap an abundant harvest. Because think about all this seed over here and just, what kind of harvest can he have? Now, uh, setting this this passage up, so this is Paul giving a benevolence offering to Jerusalem. So he's coming around to to the church in Corinth to collect this, to collect this offering. Uh, And so this is his heart for them. He's saying, you know, but you let giving flow from your heart not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity. Now, I've been kind of sitting in this passage this week, and so I'm not going gonna to try not to spend too much time on it, but I love this passage. God's heart for giving is so pal- palpable, palpable with this passage. I love this. Um, <coughs> Hilaros, hilarious generosity. That's why they translate it hilarious generosity. It's the, it's the Greek word where we get hilarious. It's hilaros is the Greek word, which means basically a joyful, gladful, cheerful, merry, basically unhindered, uninhibited. He's, he's using words that describe someone when they're drunk. That's why the, one of this, the way that it can be translated is merry. Which is weird if you think about it. We're in America, we're saying, Merry Christmas! Have a drunk Christmas! Weird. I'm, I'm surprised that the Baptist let that slide. But that's what he's talking about. And it, but more the content, connotation is, because when, you know, when you're inebriated, when people are inebriated, not you, don't be inebriated. Uh, when, when people are inebriated, what is the, the, number, the number one thing that people know, know them by? They're uninhibited. They do stupid things. Like when I drive for Uber and I have a drunk run. This one time we had a drunk run from the bar from JR's here out to like Manhattan. And the guy was like, here's $100 if you go 100 miles an hour. 100 for 100. I'm like, um, no thanks. But then by the time I dropped all three of them off, I had over $100. Because they're just like, here you go. Here you go. Uninhibited. Unhindered. And that's what he's talking, that's what this word is talking about, this hilarion, hilarios, uninhibited, unhindered generosity. That's why he said, not begrudgingly. He said, yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything. Every moment, in every way, he will make you overflow with abundance in everything that you do. This generous God who supplies abundant seed for your farmer 
which becomes bread for our meals, is even more extravagant to you. First, he supplies your every need, plus more. You will, abundantly enri- you will be in abundantly enriched in every way as you give generously on every occasion. God's heart is blessed when we are a blessing to what he loves. And he said before, you decide in your heart. He said, sorry, you, not, you decide in your heart where it is for you, like what you're going to give. He says, not begrudgingly, not stingy, not mm, hoarding it up, but lavishly, but generously in the heart that's joyful to give. And it's interesting, I, I saw this in the scripture passage this week as well. There's only a few times where God actually says that he loves something. I thought that was interesting. Where he said God loves, or the Lord loves this, those specific words. Here's a few things. Like he said in Hosea 3, his children Israel. He loves his children Israel. He loves his people. Malachi 2, he loves his sanctuary, his temple, which is who we are. We are a temple being built. We are like living stones being built up into a holy sanctuary. He loves his sanctuary. He loves you. John 16, he says he loves you because you believed in Jesus. So Jesus loves you because you believe in him. And 2 Corinthians 9, he loves a hilarious giver. A hilarious giver. That doesn't mean like when you're walking up and you're like, ha! <laughs> I've heard pastors preach that before. You should be like laughing as you're giving. I'm like, eh, maybe that, that's a little much. <laughs> but excited when you do. Because you love your church. You, know, you love what God loves. You love his people. You love his temple. You love Jesus. And you love giving. Because you love, have love for God's church. You have love for God's people. It's an expression of love for God's church. Giving is an act of generosity. And generosity to God is seen as an act of loving kindness. And so giving is an act of love for what God loves. Now, if we talked about a little bit of, of practicality here, you know, as a church, Shift Church exists 100% because of what's given. You know, we don't have like a side gig here and there, like as a church, like, hey, we have this investment that's making us a bunch of money or this and that. Like, we don't have a business attached to Shift Church. Like, we are supplied 100% to keep the lights on, to broadcast to Facebook, to, you know, have heat. Is anyone appreciative of the heat this morning? Amen to that. <laughs> Praise hallelujah. You know, have heat and have a place to gather. And we exist 100% because of giving. That's it. So you don't give. Shift doesn't happen. Shift, shift church won't exist. And so we give because we, we are being ministered to by the local church in which you give. So if you're getting ministered to by your church and have opportunities to to serve and be loved and be nurtured and to be ministered to, this is is where we give. This is where we give God's money. And now I want to make sure that we understand that. 
is that we are an outlet for you to give to God. Does that make sense? And so we give in our hearts and our spirits to the Lord because we're giving to the Lord because God loves it, God blesses it. It's an act of worship to Him. And we are that outlet for you to give to the Lord because you're being ministered to by God in this church, in the, His people. 1 Corinthians. So we, we're, we're in 2 Corinthians 9, so we're, now we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 9. So don't we as apostles have the right to be supported financially? Don't we have the right to travel accompanied by our believing wives and to be supported as a, as a couple? As do the other apostles, such as Peter the Rock and the Lord's brothers. Interesting. <clears throat> Anyone hear this? Peter's married. The apostle Peter is married. The vicar of Christ for the Catholic Church is married. That's crazy. He, so Peter the Rock are, and, and the Lord's brothers, the others, other disciples and Lord's brothers. Of course we do. Or is, it not, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to stop working for a living? Who serves in the military at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not enjoy the grapes for himself? Who would nurture and shepherd a flock and never get to drink its fresh milk? Am I merely giving you my own opinions? Or does the Torah teach the same things? For it is written in the law of Moses even. You should never put a muzzle over the mouth of an ox while he is treading out the grain. You should never put, oh, I guess I've, tell me, is God only talking about oxen here? Doesn't he also give us this principle so that we won't withhold support from his workers? It was written so that we would understand that the one spiritually plowing and spiritually treading out the grain also labors with the expectation of enjoying the harvest. So if we've sowed many spiritual gifts among you, is it too much to expect to reap material gifts from you? And if you have supported others, don't we rightfully deserve this privilege even more? Don't you know that the priests employed in sacred duty in the temple are provided for by the temple resources? And the priests who serve at the altar receive a portion of the offerings? In the same way, the Lord has directed those who proclaim the gospel to receive their living by the gospel. Because when you believe in something or someone, what, you know, in what someone is doing, you want to help support them. You want to help love them because you love what they are doing. Again, going back to not out of guilt or compulsion. Man, I tell you what, this has been a, the big, one of the biggest stumbling blocks for me. In my rejection of the church for so many years, a lot of it was at the heart of this issue. How they preach this. Guilt. Shame. You should be given. Jesus died on the cross for you, so you deserved, he deserves for you to give to him. So much guilt and shame. And it's a shame that, he, that people use this, uh, this opportunity to show you God's heart. And they, they preach out of, out of a desperation. We need money. I mean, who, lo- who likes listening to the local radio station when it's fundraising month? Who, who, who chooses that month to go to Spotify for a while? Switch over to Spotify. No one likes being coerced into giving. I've been at places where you know, they, the, their offering was longer than the invitation. It was like 30 minutes. There's someone out there right now with a check in their pocket or with cash in their wallet that belongs to the Lord. 
just false teaching after false teaching after false teaching. And it's made me begrudge, you know, it's made me begrudged against the church in a lot of ways. And so when I did give, it wasn't out of joy. It was out of, oh. It wasn't joyfully. It felt like spiritual manipulation, which equals theft. That's not God's heart. God's heart is joy. God's heart is freedom. God's heart is generosity. It's about trusting and entrusting what we're giving to God, to the church, in similar ways in which we entrust the very care of our souls, our very lives, to the church. Now, there may even be in, in our hearts this distrust of the, of the local church, like I've experienced. Like I still experience in certain ways, which is why I'm trying to do it differently. Bring healing where there's been hurt. Bring flourishing where there's been guilt and shame. Bring freedom where there was bondage. Because that's the gospel. We give because we believe we are a part of something greater. I told the story once, but I'm, I want to tell it again if I can make, it, make my way through it. There was a, do- there was a girl who had, her, her dad gave her this you know, play set and everything, and it came with this little, little, little thing of pearls, little plastic pearls, little pla- plastic pearl necklace. And she wore that thing all the time. She put it around her, her neck, and she was like, man, I love these pearls. I feel so pretty. I feel so elegant. I feel so feminine. I feel, I feel beautiful. You know, my dad says, oh, you look so beautiful, honey. Of course, we, we dads, we, we do that to our daughters and we're like, you're so beautiful. Like last night, I was just looking at, at Hazel going, you are so beautiful. You're so darn cute. When she's being not so cute, I'm like, you're lucky you're cute. <laughs> because, <laughs> but this little girl had, wore this pearl necklace all the time. And one day her dad came up to her and he said, honey, I love you. Would you, would you give me your pearl necklace? I'd love to have it as a gift. And she, says, she said, no, Daddy. These are mine. I feel pretty. They're mine. Don't. And so anyway, he left. And a little bit later, he came back, and he, he said, Honey, I, I love you so much. I even gave you those. Can I have them? I'd like to have them. Do you love me? Like, Jesus, you know, Daddy, you, you know that I love you. But I know I can't. Left him. A little bit later, Dad came up and he even got down on one knee. He's like, honey, I love you so much. You are the apple of my eye. You're so cute. You're so beautiful. Would you, do you love me? Would you give me your, your pearl necklace? And she was just like angry. She's like yelling, no, no, and crying, no. I won't. Go away. So, okay. Dad went away. And his, her dad went over and he sat in his chair. And a little while later, she, she came and with trembling hand and just tears streaming from her face. She said, Daddy, I've been thinking about it and I love you. I trust you. 
Here's my pearl. Little plastic beads. I said, thank you, honey. I love you so much, and this means so much to me. Here, he reached into his pocket and grabbed a little box and opened it up, and inside was a brand new necklace of real pearls. Honey, I want you to have this. Thank you for your love. We give because we believe that we are a part of something greater, that God will love, God who loves us extravagantly already, wants to show us more and more of his love. Wants to show us that his gifts and blessings are better than that which we could cultivate and protect ourselves. So this is a part of that learning to trust again. And for some of us, maybe it's learning to trust the church again. By learning to love, learning to trust God. The way we can learn to learn to trust God is to, you know, trust and entrust ourselves to the church. Healing from being burnt out. Test God. He said, test God. First fruits. Trust God. Trust his church. And this is the thing, I want to invite you, I want to invite conversations. I had, like I said, I had several conversations this week. I would love to have more. If you have questions about what we're doing with, our, with the money here at Shift Church, we are an open book. I will spit out some reports for you. Well, you know, to show that we are transparent, we, we know where every single dollar is going. And I, I mean, I've tried to be a good steward. I've cut back so much in our spending and, try, and all sorts of things going out <clears throat> to different things and trying to bring it back um, to, to live in, as a good steward. Uh, of, of what God has given. So, tr- so trimming off the different little things like Zoom, we don't need Zoom anymore. So I canceled, you know, our, even that $17 a month. You know? <clears throat> we give because we want to live the vision that God has given his church. Again, we want to live this relational ministry of transformation he's entrusted to us here at Shift. And to live this vision Live, live his plan for us as Shift Church together. This is part of the adventure. And like I said, feeling all of these things, if I can go back to it, you can feel all of these things at once. When we give, that we are worshiping God, that we are blessing God, and, be, and being blessed, God is going to bless us and show us and reveal to us the, the realness and verify the authenticity of our faith. Verify to those around us the authenticity of, our, authenticity of our faith. And like my story was the one that I preached last week, we are given a story of how God delivered, how God came through, about how God blessed, how God flourished us. Because we're imitating him. He loves to bless, bless us in that. A love for one another and a love for what God loves. And that is his people, his church. And doing all these things, feeling all these things at the same time. But it starts with being faithful to say, yes, Lord. The adventure starts, like any hike, with one 
foot on the trail. You got to start somewhere. So I invite you to, to pick up the, the gift, sh- the, the gift shipping paper, <laughs> the shift giving paper in the back on the back table. Uh, it'll also be on our website. And also, I'd love to have a conversation with you. If you have more questions, if you'd like to be in, to actually engage your finances, to actually do a budget, to go a certain direction, to be intentional with your finances, we'd love to have a conversation. Love to hook you up with the Eatons. I know they would love to sit down and talk with you and go through Dave Ramsey. And if there's enough interest, maybe we could even do another Dave Ramsey class. It changed my life when I started focusing on and with my finances. And I pray, I pray, I pray that you would also feel the welcome by God to say, let me show you, test me in this. Let me show you that I will provide abundantly more than you could ever ask, dare to ask or imagine. Test me in this. God, we thank you for the blessing of worshiping you through giving. We thank you that you love us, that you are for us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, and that we can give, Lord, to you because we know that you have us. You, so you provide so abundantly for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And we pray, Lord Jesus, as we give, and we, as we focus and seek first your kingdom, that you would indeed add all these things abundantly to our lives that we can proclaim your excellence. We we can proclaim your goodness. We can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ more and more boldly. Proclaim your story of what you are doing in our lives. Bless us, Lord Jesus, as a church. Lord, we pray hilarion, hilarious on our finances, God, that you would help us to do even greater ministries because you are, you are providing for us as a church. You are bringing people to become a part of us and you're stirring within us this, this hilarious generosity, Lord Jesus, for one another and for your church. We're seeing people come to faith in Jesus and seeing people come and experience freedom, coming and experience community and relationships and transformation, Lord. That this would be a place that your story is, is being told loudly because of the crazy, hilarious generosity and boldness that we have to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us always, Lord, to keep a good head on our shoulders, to stay focused, to be self-disciplined in all of our lives and us as a church. Let us not wander off, off of the path, off of our trajectory, Lord Jesus, but to Press on to glorify you, Lord Jesus, as we watch you bless, as we watch you verify the authenticity of our faith and our existence as your church, our mission and the plan and the vision that you have for us, God, that we would indeed as a church use all these things to glorify your name, to glorify you, God, by accomplishing the work that you've given us to do. Enrich each and every one of our lives, God, for your blessings. First in Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen.